Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by YYZ Translations. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast. I'm your host, Sultan Ghaznawi. Today, we will be talking about expanding your language business in the middle of a pandemic. To speak about that, I have invited Jordan Evans. Jordan is the CEO of Language Network and a board member for the Association of Language Companies. He is a second-generation family business owner and an acquisition entrepreneur. He loves to help people realize their potential and implement creative solutions to problems. Jordan has spent the majority of his career in hyper-growth technology companies, gaining experience in areas such as sales and marketing, team leadership, and scaling organizations for growth. His leadership style is most often compared to Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Outside the office, Jordan enjoys traveling with his wife, roasting coffee beans, and taking beach walks with his French bulldog, Tyson. Jordan, welcome to the Translation Company Talk. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, uh, I'm so happy I'm speaking with you. I've been meaning to talk to you in a long time. Let's start by sharing your story. How did you end up in this industry? Was it by accident, like most people who find themselves here, or... Was it a well-planned move for you? My story is equal parts common story and equal parts very uncommon. And the the common part of it is I'm a second generation business owner in this language industry. My mom was an interpreter growing up as well mm-hmm. as a translator. This is in the 1980s, 90s. And I got to watch her over the years uh, in the house being an entrepreneur and growing her language company. Um, right. So in that aspect, being a second generation, that's very common, actually, I think, in our industry. It is. It is. Uh, yes. The uncommon side of it is that I didn't think I would be joining this industry or taking over the the family business. I had my own career in tech and uh, around 2015, both my parents were uh, getting ready to retire and and tired. And I saw a a wonderful uh, language company that could add value to and and grow uh, with my background in technology and sales and marketing. And so I acquired the company actually in 2016 with my uh, sibling, my my sister had been in the company for 10 years. In that sense, uh, the fact that we bought the company is a little atypical. I've got five siblings. So we wanted to keep the family peace and actually buy the company. And then uh, we are continuing on a path of buying other language companies and and bringing them into the family business, uh, so to speak. So in that sense, it's not so common. Well, that's that's interesting how you got involved. I mean, other people have uh, also been involved because of the generational shift, their parents uh, had to move on and and hand over the companies to them. But in your case, it's been a a bit unique. And, And I heard your story first at an ALC conference a few years ago. I was fascinated by it, how you got involved, uh, but you've seen how this company was developed from inside, I guess, and that helped you lead and manage it today, right? That's right. Uh, Today, the company looks nothing like it did. We've evolved so much in the past uh, four years, and we've doubled in size twice uh, since I joined, and we've added new people. So the essence of the company, the values we've retained and grown the clients, built on a lot of the best practices that the first generation, my parents, mom and dad, developed. Um, 
And so in that sense, we've just taken uh, what they've built and uh, sprinkled you know, some improvements and new technology and, and made it a little bit better. Tell me about the company now, um, where it is, what is it's focused on and, and want to get to? Sure. So um, today we are based in California in the United States in greater Southern California. Uh, we've got a remote team. So there's people all the way in Argentina, all the way up to Washington State, which we also have an office in Washington State. Uh, we do 60% interpreting and the remainder is translation services, kind of that whole bucket, uh, some more of the written word. Right. And uh, I'd say that we, in the United States, we're largely uh, interpreting market, I think more so than other places like Europe or Asia Pacific. That's why we're skewed towards the interpreting. Uh, healthcare, government, education, social services uh, are, are the main uh, clients and industries we serve. Very interesting. So what have you witnessed in the way of evolution and changes uh, inside the industry since you started? I mean, you're pretty fresh, but you've been involved in this industry for a very long time. What have your uh, observations been? How have things changed and were they for the better or uh, for the worse? Where do you see this evolution heading to? Uh, the world is definitely changing, uh, mostly how we connect and we've just been globalizing at a very fast rate. I, I think I saw a chart the other day showing the exchange of information across borders each year and how it's just uh, exponential growth. Yeah. And I think that's that's been a big evolution, seeing the ability to uh, take software like a cloud-based uh, system and adopt that rather than have to have our own servers and software or hire an IT developer to maintain our own software. So that was, a, I think, a key switch when we joined. We've taken on-premise systems and software and, and adopted cloud-based. And there's so many great industry platforms being developed. Another kind of evolution is just in how consumers are requesting and ordering online. You know, they go to Amazon to order goods. They go to Uber on their iPhone to get a taxi. Right. Uh, so the demand of how clients expect us to service them is changing and we're having to adapt. <laughs> we can't just tell them to fill out a form online or uh, vaccine an order in healthcare that the, the consumers or the, the clients want ease of requesting. And I'd also say that in our industry, especially more sophisticated buyers, they're wanting more access from one vendor and consolidating their, their language providers. So those are just a couple of quick thoughts on how I see maybe it's not, our industry is a service industry. So we are kind of following along all these other industries and how they're evolving and uh, trying to adapt our services to those industries. So Understood. So let's zoom into our subject of discussion for today. Scaling and growing in, in the middle of a pandemic is not easy. It's a monumental challenge. Tell me how you've managed to thrive this year. Uh, from what I understand, it's been a good year for you. It, it depends on uh, how you quantify and want to measure this year. Uh, I'll start by saying, like most, uh, we're down on a gross revenue perspective. Okay. Uh, but but thrive is a good, good word, I think, in your question. We had kind of three parts to 2020. First quarter was the best quarter ever in company history. And we were thinking this was going to be a breakout year for us. Mm -hmm. And we had a whole slew of objectives and improvements to make to software and processes. But quickly that changed in quarter two uh, when the world went to shut down with COVID and uh, it turned to manage crisis, manage expense and figure out how are we going to get through this? How bad is this going to get? So that that was chapter two of this three chapter year and it was exhausting. So I wouldn't say in the middle of it, I thought we were going to thrive or this would be a good year. I, we were just planning for the worst. The 
final chapter of this three-chapter year, uh, we moved in Q3 around summer to Q4. Our mindset, uh, especially mine as the leader, was how do we go from this crisis mode? We, we're now, it feels like we've, nothing's new here. Uh, we've managed down our expenses. We've gone to this core team. We're all working remote. How do, we're stabilized. How do we go to growth mode from crisis mode? So that was chapter three of this year. And I think that's where I realized how much better of a company we've become through this year. While the volume was down, we were improving our systems, upgrading software and processes, doing team happy hours. So in a lot of ways, if the metric is the the team um, collaboration and uh, culture, it really solidified us as a team, even though we're remote. And then we made huge improvements on all of our uh, software platforms, on the translation team, on the interpreting side, uh, and then the finance side. You know, we didn't waste the crisis, so to speak. Uh, well, uh, I'm glad you say that because a lot of people in our industry are uh, trying to define what they want to do after this crisis happened. And and you found a way to pivot and you found ways to grow. Tell me, how did that happen? Where did you do that self-discovery to see what works and what does not work? We are a service. At least that's how I view us. Uh, we use technology, but uh, we are a service-driven organization. And so uh, how can we get close to the client and understand how they're doing, what we can do to help them, or even if it's just extending some empathy. The world is is short in empathy and kindness right now, uh, at large, I would say. So uh, connecting even more frequently or just even asking how the client is doing really, I think, was the best thing that we did this year. And then as far as the um, pivoting, we tried several things on the remote interpreting offering, not knowing how soon on-site interpreting would come back since we're all in shutdown here in the United States. Uh, so this um, remote interpreting solution is really in its infancy. It's the smallest part of our industry. And a lot of our clients still prefer on-site, but they were forced to go to Zoom or Google Meet or pick your platform. So internally, uh, there was nothing elegant. We had to scramble to put interpreters on the right platform to talk to our interpreters and see what they feel comfortable with and uh, cross-train them for the platform or at least point them in the right direction on, on how to use the tools more effectively. So it was, I don't know, I'm rambling on your question, but it was connecting, staying close to the client and understanding what they're needing help with. Uh, well, I also heard from conversations with you that you had some personal health challenges uh, this year. As an entrepreneur, how did it affect your business and most importantly, your personal life? Uh, this was February 2020, and I was the sickest that I have been uh, almost my whole life, maybe the last decade, we'll say. And I was out for four weeks. That was a, a mini challenge in itself. The team had to operate without me, which I think was a really good indicator of how we'd fare the year. I guess I'm not needed, but those four weeks, I was I was actually treated for pneumonia and eventually you know, recovered. But at that time, there were no tests for COVID or anything like that. So it was only until, let's say, another eight weeks before I could get an uh, antibody test and discovered that I had COVID in February. And that's why I was so sick. To hear that. Yeah. Um, but, I'm sorry to hear that. It, it must have been difficult for you. Uh, it's not fun being sick. I was ignorant to what I had, so I wasn't too worried about it. But the good news is that the team carried on. I see. And uh, that being said, I'm so happy you've overcome this significant challenge. I mean, health is the most important thing in the world. And, and sometimes we don't appreciate it as much as we should. It only, um, you know, these challenges make you only stronger. So uh, as an entrepreneur, did you have a contingency plan in place? I guess we all have to clone ourselves in case we cannot attend to business for any amount of time.
but did you have plans that in case if you were away for a certain period of time uh, that the business would operate by itself or someone else would know exactly what needs to be done? You mentioned that your team took care of everything, but were all the processes documented? Uh, everything was laid out for them so they can actually uh, make sure that the business operates as normal? I wouldn't say we had a, a formal contingency plan. Fortunately, we had we have the right people that know how to run things without me. People that exemplify our values, which we use the acronym HEART, which is humility, empathy, adaptability, respect, and take action, take initiative. Um, so the acronym HEART spells out our values. And each of our people definitely lives those values out. And so when I'm out, they're taking action, taking responsibility for supporting the clients. So the key ingredient for success there was having the right people. On the process side, which is the other part of the equation, we're service business. So it's people and it's process. Right. So as a starting point, we're only as good as the people doing the service. But to quickly follow on that, we're only as good as our process allows. So our processes are everyone's really well versed in the systems. And we are in the middle of changing systems too, or getting gearing up to changing a lot of and upgrading our systems. So at that point, early on, the contingency plan was just we were good people and, and good process. Understood. You have an exciting news to share with us about your acquisition this year. Can't wait to hear what it is and, and what does it mean for your company and at a personal level it's 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 an accomplishment so why don't you go ahead and tell us sure so like i shared earlier jumped into the business by actually acquiring language network uh, but it opened my eyes to the power of growth through acquisition as well as how rewarding uh, that process can be being able to help my parents exit and retire and carry on their legacy and what they've built and taking care of the team that was there it really opened my eyes to that so my partner i had decided that if it made sense uh, that we would acquire another company and uh, welcome them into our language network, or, or so we call it a family of language companies in the Western United States. And we found uh, the language exchange in Washington State and uh, actually purchased the company in late 2019, uh, Q4. So right before we went into this 2020 storm. Uh, so that's been uh, a whirlwind, but it's been so worth it. Uh, I would absolutely do it again, knowing if 2020 was coming beforehand, uh, just to give you an idea. But that's the, the big news, I think, is what we were able to welcome in some good people, some new clients, and then grow in another state altogether in the United States. Well, congratulations on, on that acquisition. That means that, you know, you're doing something right. Tell me about the process. How did you go out to look for a company to acquire? What was the acquisition like? For most of us, it's, uh, it's, it's something foreign. We have never done it. So it's interesting to know how did the, the transaction go and how many parties were involved in it. From my experience, we started looking to acquire a company in 2018, beginning of 2018. So that gives you an idea about 18 months to actually close on the, this transaction. But in that time, we were talking to, I want to say about 15, uh, I've since spoken to probably 30 different language companies that are exploring exits. And that was really important to get familiar with what other operations are out there and understanding the what companies look like under the hood, so to speak? And can I manage them better? Can I improve anything? Or are these companies that I'm looking to buy already completely efficient and I probably screw it up? So so for us, it was uh, committing to this process and knowing it was going to take a long time to be patient. And uh, the key part, I think, is having a vision for what why we're acquiring. And it just you can't just wake up and say, I'm going to go acquire a business. There's, there's so many moving parts and mostly it's a lot of people. So I'm going to acquire a company and I need to have a clear vision of how they fit in 
our existing company. And more than 50% of that is the people. Is it going to be a fit? Is it going to take blending these teams together? And also on the people side, do I like the seller and do they like me? Do they trust me? It's almost, it's not like buying a house. If I could give you a a comparison, it's more like adopting a child and that whole process. Well, and what has been a learning experience for you from this? Uh, I, I know that you are excited and you would, you would do it again and probably uh, acquire additional companies in the future. But what did you learn from this? Does it mean that the world is a much bigger place and, and you can get there with uh, acquisitions faster? It, how does it help you get your objectives? Sure. Well, our vision I can share is to be a trusted, regionally focused language provider in the Western United States and right. when and where it makes sense to uh, grow and be regionally entrenched. So to offer a suite of services that we do now at remote interpreting, translation services on-site, um, and to do it really well in our local communities. Um, so it's a geography-focused uh, vision, and some people decide to do more of a vertical vision. You find a niche and pick an industry and just do that. Um, so ours, ours is more uh, geared around being the local provider. Um, it allows us to pick up really good people that know the community, and the community knows and trusts us. Uh, it's it's a little bit of an old-school approach in a, in a modern world, so to speak. They call the office and know they're going to get Julie or Maria or Stacy. And I, th- I think that as a service business allows us to be really close to the clients. That makes sense. Uh, no, uh, the, the idea was that what was your learning experience from this uh, and, and how would you apply that into additional acquisitions? But but everything you're saying, it makes sense. So you're focused more on, on the user experience, on how to improve user experience when dealing with a translation company compared to uh, how they've been doing it in the past, which was more manual, more, uh, more rigid, and people didn't like that. So you're trying to provide people a personalized experience. That's right. Uh, to be the trusted language provider that can tailor our solution to their needs. And it also allows us on the, the supply side to get to know our interpreters and translators, the people that live in the community too, that in that world, are they willing to take a ferry to go do a court assignment in the San Juan Islands? So there is some local knowledge and benefit from this approach. A couple other things I think I've learned, as I mentioned, that it's all about the people, 50% or more of, of an acquisition actually happening is can there be trust between us and the sellers and do we like each other because these these transactions can be scary and emotional and you know, ups and downs and sometimes they fall apart but if the, the chemistry is there the vision fit is there then it's just a matter of making the dollars and cents and cash flow work so that way uh, the sellers and the buyers can have a win-win so I think that's the approach that we take is how can we make this a win-win the seller's got needs and wants and we have needs and wants and if we can get to the point of negotiating those then uh, let's have some empathy and usually it takes some back and forth to agree on the price and terms but I I will say that it's not um, like I said before it's not like buying a house there's a lot of things that you can do and be creative about to make a deal happen Uh, and just going back to this acquisition what made you decide to expand this year the business environment and the horizon was very foggy and unclear yet you decided to make this acquisition what prompted you to do that? Well, I met, I think part of it is uh, where my partner and I are in our life. Uh, we're in our 30s and we have 
the energy and desire to expand. And that's a key part of it. It fits into what we want to do professionally to grow and maybe to make uh, more aggressive moves uh, now rather than wait later and feel like I've got more to lose or I'm more stuck in a lifestyle. So from a timing perspective, I feel like I've got the energy and the desire. So it fits in. And like I said before, the growth is allows us to add more of a region or a new geography. And I used to live in Seattle uh, with my wife in Washington State. So there's a there's a personal right. aspect to it. I just I just love Washington. I want an excuse to be up there uh, between California and Washington. So it's a beautiful state, actually. I love Washington. So that being said, let's let's dive into the world of how you operate your business. Please share a few words about your management style and uh, what do you prioritize and and running your business. Yeah, people have said that I remind them of Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Right. Um, <laughs> and for, for many, it's for those that are listening and don't know, Mr. Rogers is just a friendly senior citizen neighbor who uh, is wearing his cardigan uh, sweater and really approachable and sits down and you know, talks at eye level with you and uh, has a really open, honest tone and approach and talks through difficult things openly. Mr. Rogers was a couple of great uh, documentaries that just came out on on him, but he was really mission driven. And I, I think that's my approach. I'm pretty even keel, not too hot, not too cold. I expect life to have challenges. So it's just a matter of, well, how, how we overcome them. Let's do this together. So I'd say Mr. Rogers is, is the best way to describe the management approach. I do like to um, delegate and trust the team to do the job well, as long as we're agreed on what needs to get done. I know that there are many people that can do the job better than me. And so if I jump in and try and do the job, it won't be as good as, as somebody else on the team. So I don't have that problem as an entrepreneur of having to do it myself and or micromanage or feel like I have a hard time letting go. If I have the right person and I, I want to give them the freedom to own the project, own the responsibility, then uh, that we're all going to be a better company that way. So part of it is knowing my limitations too. I'm not a details and follow through on small tasks type uh, personality. That makes sense, Jordan. And, and, and I'm with you. Uh, surrounding yourself with the right experts is what will provide you that collective intelligence, that collective force to drive your company forward. And, and a lot of people, unfortunately, don't see it that way. They have that leadership style of either it's my way or the highway and, and everyone else has to follow me. So tell me about your strategy for finding the best talent and maintaining them. How do you keep your team happy? Right. That's a key part of it. Uh, I think the theme has stayed consistent in our talk is that it's so important to have good people. I think my, my job as the CEO is number one to ensure we have a great team and that we retain them and that we're fostering a productive culture and environment. I have three responsibilities as CEO, but number one is the question you asked and that's having good people. The other two is responsibilities I have is engaging with our key customers and partners and exploring these acquisition possibilities. And then three is setting a vision strategy for the company. But as far as the people goes, pretty flat organization. Uh, we're organized around function. So more on the service line, if you work with clients in translation, you're more working in translation, you're uh, more experienced with interpreting, you're working on the interpreting side. Uh, and then we have our sales and marketing team focused on the growth and reaching out to new customers as well as following up and nurturing our existing customers. So as a company, everyone's got accountability each quarter. We set goals, about three to five key tasks or big objectives, we call them rocks, that they need to do in addition to uh, what, what is the weekly input that they have to put in that uh, we can track. And we do it each week in 
our weekly meetings of uh, this was a good week. This week was off target. This was just a really bad week. What, what the heck happened? So having this level of structure and trust. So that's gotten us to where we are. And I think it's a very good way going forward. I can't say that I created this system. Uh, we adopted a, it's called the Entrepreneur Operating System or EOS from a book called Traction by Gina Wickman. And I think actually a couple other language companies use this system. It's quite popular, but it, it just, uh, it's having the right people in the right seats doing the right thing and having that type of formality uh, when it comes to how we're organized and doing the work uh, allows us, like we were talking about earlier, to uh, not micromanage because we've been proactive about how we are working together. That makes sense. And you you mentioned the EOS and, and I've heard this several times in the past as well. It's basically um, creating a structure, creating uh, this formality, as you, as you mentioned. Tell me about how your structure has been developed. I mean, you have some core competencies there, which probably is the production and the vendor management, as well as probably even sales. But then you all have these supporting functions that includes accounting and, and so on and so forth. Tell me a little bit about how you've structured your company. I know that different LSPs or language service companies, they have different types of structures. So how is your setup? Ours is common and uncommon in that uh, we have two teams, right? We did an acquisition, we had language network, and then we have the language exchange. But now what we say internally is we are one team, two brands. We've kept the branding for the goodwill and the legacy and acquisition. We've had to merge kind of, how do we all fit together now? How do we take care of the clients and work with our different translators, interpreters, how we bill. So it's constantly evolving. We don't just set an org chart. I think we're pretty dynamic. Each year, I mean, this year is going to look different that we call it an accountability chart. Again, this is from the EOS system. It's not so much about the title and the ego of, oh, you know, I have tenure, so I'm a you know a director of X. It's more about at this point in time, you're going to be managing these roles and responsibilities in the company. So it, it takes some careful planning and we've actually are reshuffling our accountability chart for 2021. We brought in actually a couple of good people at the end of this year and we made two new hires. So just getting people in the, in the right seat uh, can be challenging, uh, but we can't just do an org chart once and forget about it, um, especially as we grow. Um, so I, I do have uh, a three-year kind of org chart, what size will be and where we'll need to hire. And that's a good talking point to potential new hires too, to, or even internally with the team, show them maybe where they could grow in their career. Understood. And uh, what about the customers? What is your strategy for finding and keeping customers that are loyal to you and keep trusting you with business year after year? That's what's amazing and confusing about this industry is a lot of, especially after looking at 30 different companies and talking to the owners and uh, some of the team, is it seems like the clients, if you do a good job, they stick around. The high retention uh, is the norm and not the, more often the norm than anything else. I think doing the work well and responsive is an important piece to retention, just table stakes, but also retaining the client by checking in with them proactively. Uh, we can take them for granted if, if we just do the work and are so transactional. Um, so we're, we're flipping our sales to more of a consultative sales approach and uh, implementing more account management function where we connect with them, we show them some stats about their uh, language requests and demand, how that's changing. We proactively recommend some of our other services. I think my answer is just two part is, is one, doing the job and doing it well and having a chance for a referral growth. Uh, but number two, which is what I'm really excited about in my background is in sales, is growing the growth engine of our team and process and being proactive about it. Uh, as far 
far as growth goes, uh, the lowest hanging fruit is expanding your current customers, which we are doing in 2021. 2020 is what it was. And then uh, cloning our customer base is the next step in that process. So uh, what industries and clients do we have in our bundle of clients in our portfolio today? And where can we go find lookalikes? Uh, so that's step two in our process. We're very aggressive uh, in a good way, not in an annoying way, about going out and prospecting and, and trying to engage with those lookalikes. And then step three, which is it takes more strategy and time, is should we be adding any industry in or any particular uh, focus that's new that we haven't done? And so for us, that's more of an e-learning and HR training aspect of we see that being a long-term growth vertical. And so can we start prospecting and talking and building pipeline in that vertical? Understood. Well, that's that's a very good way of growing the company in a way that it doesn't hurt your efforts. Because if you grow too fast in too many different areas, then obviously you're distracted and, and you can't keep focus. Now, in terms of your sales team, tell me what the qualities uh, that you look for in an ideal salesperson to possess in order to, to meet uh, your specific strategy, your specific vision. Yeah. So I've been the salesperson for majority of, of the, the years and we've had sales interns or uh, kind of an admin and we've had a marketing coordinator and the way we would do it is they would feed me. So they would do a lot of the prospecting using tools like LinkedIn or there's some other uh, great software like Zoom Info. That's quite expensive, but prospecting those lookalikes and outreach. So direct mail, email, phone call, and in a way that is uh, trying to show up and be on their radar, add some value. Maybe it's sharing a, a relevant article for their industry and asking a simple question of, can we help? Hey, we work with uh, an organization similar to yours. They have this problem. I, I suspect we could help if you have a similar problem. Would it make sense to chat? So showing up in a way that is trying to not take or be um, an interruption. Granted, some people perceive it that way, but that's what we have to do in order to connect with people. So for the first part, you know, let's say 2016 to 2019, it was the sales interns feeding me. And uh, we've also used a bid consultant too uh, on certain RFPs. That's also a way to grow in the United States, especially if you're doing interpreting. The government's a big buyer of our language services. So we'd have somebody do that. I hate RFPs. Uh, it's such a, a terror. There's a special place in hell for bids and RFPs where you'll be doing them for eternity. We hired somebody who's an expert and they helped put it all together for us. I'll let you know if we win anything there. So far, there's been little fruit. And then flip the page to 2020. And a key objective for me was to clone myself, so to speak, or bring in somebody who's smarter or better and uh, can teach me on some of the sales. And we were able to do that. We welcomed our, our newest uh, director of business development and she's fantastic. Uh, so uh, she's filling the main role of uh, pipeline engagement, key account management. And we have a marketing coordinator that's helping with content creation, website management, some of our SEO. And then we have, we'll have an intern join us again to just kind of accelerate. And I'm there to support. So we've just stood up a, a huge part of the sales for the future by bringing in the, our newest uh, director of business development. That's so good to know. Um, now, what is your sales training process like? Do you engage outside parties? Yes, uh, absolutely. Everybody sells, even if you're an ops. And uh, the biggest thing for a service business is consultative sales. So being being able to uh, treat each client as if you're the expert, you're the doctor, you're asking thoughtful, relevant questions 
to the client or prospective client and doing this kind of medical triage or intake. And then you're able to show them, hey, here are the kind of health plans. Here's here's your uh, plan, how we can help. You know, you told me these things were important to you and here's how we kind of fit in and help you get there. So if anyone takes anything away from this uh, chat that we're having uh, is uh, adopt or go through a consultative sales training. It really doesn't matter who. There's a whole bunch of different books out there and people offering this. We actually worked with NIMSI this year and that was fantastic. So NIMSI, uh, Renato Beninato is there. I, I did a, um, a sales leadership training with him, which was a two-day intensive. Mind you, I have a, you know, 10, 12 years of, of sales and leadership uh, and marketing experience prior, but I still need to go back and, and learn. So I did that. And then our team, our marketing coordinator, our business development director, myself, we just did uh, the John Flannery consultative sales methodology in the fall, uh, virtual again through NIMSI. Uh, but I know there's other great industry translation consultants. And then there's also many others outside of our language industry. Uh, I think Jessica Rathke comes to mind, has a really good program. There's a couple others, and I wish I could give them a plug here. But consultative sales is, is my final answer. Get trained on it. And then this next year, we'll have our uh, project managers do uh, more of a consultative sales training for ops, for operations people. Understood. And shifting gears a little, let me hear you talk about technology. How do you deploy and use technology in, in your organization? Well, uh, we are primarily human-powered and technology-enabled, and that's 2020. We'll see in 10 years, we can have a follow-up chat of, uh, you know, we're, we're doing this work of bridging uh, the gap in communication. And, you know, let's say today, you know, 95% is human input, 5% machine, or, you know, I'm just giving an example here. In 10 years, is that 50-50, you know, human and machine? Is it, you know, 70-30? I, I don't know. But our approach right now is uh, we use industry off-the-shelf cloud-based uh, software that helps us be efficient, uh, connecting the right uh, language uh, provider with the language need. So interpreting, we use interpreter intelligence, fantastic. Um, specifically, we use uh, for translation side, uh, Protemos. I know there's some big ones like Lunet, XTRF. We've looked at all of them. This just met our needs. It's really lightweight, easy to adopt, good support, cost-effective. And then we use some CAT tools, which inevitably we use them all, depending on how sophisticated our client is and what their needs are. Uh, but the one that we use you know, 80, 90% of the time is actually SmartCat, uh, also a cloud-based, more modern tool for our industry. Um, so we continue to uh, adopt and adapt uh, to the tools. And uh, because we tailor our solutions to the client, our portfolio of tools will probably be different next year or the year after. Um, so we like to try and stay up on if there's a new industry tool uh, that we could adopt. I see. Besides efficiency, what is the value that uh, you want to drive from using these technologies? Uh, well, yeah, efficiency is, is one of the main main points. I, I think just uh, as a fun side note is when I joined Language Network, uh, there was still some paper in the process and we mapped the whole process of uh, customer client request to fulfilled to build and all the steps in between. And we timed it. You know, how many minutes does it take to input this request? How many minutes does it take, you know, to anyway, so on and so forth. You know, it was like an average of 28 to 30 minutes per client request uh, in this old process. And then when we looked at our new tools, like interpreter intelligence, uh, you know, that took it down to like three minutes, believe it or not, on average. So just the efficiency gain was huge to 
to look at our, the steps of our process. And just because it works and we've done it that way for a long time, uh, doesn't mean we need to keep doing it that way. If we want to grow, we got to find efficiency gains so we can handle more client requests. Uh, but you asked beyond efficiency. So I think some of the tools provide us some quality control, uh, gives us better insight and reporting to trends. Uh, some of the reporting is really good now that we're doing proactive uh, account management. We can show the client uh, what languages they're mostly requesting. And are they uh, a last minute request? What can we do to encourage your people um, at the clinic to request sooner or uh, maybe input it themselves? So the tools give, give us uh, ways to better service the client and plan for where we need to grow or where we need to improve. Uh, maybe we need to go out and find more resources in a particular language. Um, let's see. The one aspect of technology in our business today that is, is going to be a question mark is this telehealth and video platform play. Because of COVID, uh, so many, every industry has gone to this remote, whether they liked it or not. And right. they all have uh, these web conferencing tools. And we've found that a lot of our clients want to keep using the tools that they are comfortable with or their corporate IT uses. And we need to adapt and, and plug the resources onto their platform. So and I don't know if technology enables us here. It just It's an interesting uh, world that we have uh, woken up in in 2020. And now the team has kind of scrambled to learn and adapt and, and put resources, interpreters on you know XYZ telehealth platform or Zoom. Or um, we have our you know, we have three different solutions Sultan on uh, video remote, and we haven't fully committed to any of them because it's still early days. We don't know which is going to prevail or be more in demand. But that's going to be an interesting side of technology and the services we provide. And Jordan, I know you're a tech guy yourself. You know technology very well. So uh, we talked about efficiency earlier. I mean, the, the main drive for adoption of technology in our industry has been to improve efficiency as much as possible by automation and so forth. So machine translation is an area that comes to mind in terms of automation. Is that something you use? Also, what are some other technologies you're keeping an eye on for 2021? Right. I, so the easy one is I was just talking about uh, video remote solutions. I think we're keeping an eye on that and we'll just have to see which one prevails if, if there's a couple, if it consolidates. As far as machine translation, um, our team's proficient in what's available, but if we were to aggressively adopt it, you know, it's only in certain industries or certain types of content that I think we feel comfortable. And to start, it'd probably be for our own efficiency, just because the client demand is really, at least for us, the industries we serve, they don't demand that. They're not in the know, so to speak, of how a machine translation could help them. And I, I think that we haven't seen a consistent theme with our customers. Otherwise, maybe we would suggest it um, as a just a, a goodwill and client engagement or retention strategy. But it, it's more of a interesting, let's see which language pairs and content uh, groups that maybe we could adopt machine translation. It's kind of incremental over here. I guess it's not, it's a little bit boring. We really incrementally, like what does the client need? And, and let's find out how we service that best. And that drives our adoption of tech. Understood. Now, uh, so as the year is ending, what are your thoughts and predictions for 2021? What is in store for the language industry? Uh, what do you see happening in 2021? Oh, gosh, I left my crystal ball for, at home for our call today. <laughs> 
actually, I think it broke sometime during this year. You know, I'm forecasting and we're putting together our growth plan and budgets for 2021. And as much as I'd like to say it's going to be, a, 2021 is going to be 2019. And that's, I think we're somewhere in, in the middle of that, of what 2020 was and what 2019 was. Healthcare has actually been really, it's been a buzzsaw uh, for them this year. Uh, just so many people have not gone in for their routine healthcare checkups or anything that was not critical. And so I think a lot of healthcare budget cuts and more demand for better pricing as a result, and maybe even consolidation of vendors. So some of these, especially in healthcare, looking at, well, we have three or four different providers. Let's uh, do an RFP and get better pricing and have one one vendor. Some industries though, gaming, I guess this was one of the best years ever. (laughs) So it's hard to say, Sultan, uh, what my predictions are. Um, I think corporate e-learning, I mentioned that earlier, the, the HR, the training, there'll be more demand for that. And uh, we'll continue to globalize going forward as a as a country, especially under a new president who seems to be a little uh, more friendly with uh, all the world powers. But I think the takeaway is just being close to your current customers. And you can't go wrong with that and anticipating their needs. So you, you don't need a crystal ball as long as you're talking regularly with, with the client. And, and in your opinion, how do you think the pandemic will change the industry for the long term? Uh, consolidation. There's such a long tail of language providers, like translation, interpreting agencies. And uh, I think that this year, if any, anyone was thinking of exiting or retiring, or you know, they don't want to be on the other side of rebuilding. And I, and I know that there's private equity coming into the space. So I don't know if it's pandemic driven more so than it is just kind of where we are. There's a lot of um, baby boomers, people that started language companies 20, 30 years ago that look for a change of pace in their life, want to retire. So I think final answer, more consolidation and then increased demand for some of the remote interpreting. Uh, I think that trend's here to stay. I know remote simultaneous is a category we haven't really talked about, but the uh, conference industry has just been obliterated and going forward with vaccines, I think 2021, more people will do these hybrid virtual conferences. So uh, this remote interpreting, whether it's consecutive or simultaneous, it, it, is here to, to stay and will continue to grow. So when we are at it, do you think new areas of language use will emerge in the near future as a result of this pandemic or, or technological evolutions that are happening? How do you plan to capitalize on those if, if you've thought of any? Uh, well, we are patenting our uh, virtual augmented reality remote interpreting option. So by, by 2030, we'll be offering interpreting via hologram <laughs> or you wear your virtual wow. reality glasses. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm teasing, but I won't be surprised if that's here in the future. But I don't know I, what will merge in the, the near future. Uh, we'll continue to, to incrementally step forward. Our approach is what is old school is new school. And a lot of our talk about you know, being the local provider, knowing the client, adapting our tech based on their need. So it, it's totally different, Sultan, than I was in software, venture-funded software companies before I joined this industry. And that was all about 100% growth year over year a new product evolution and features and what makes us unique. And I totally had to relearn and and shift mindset switching to this industry that we didn't have to grow 100% year over year. That was silly and untenable. Uh, And we don't have, we grow organically and a healthy rate, um, but it's all self-funded. So I guess this question you're asking me makes me think that um, of the days in software, like what's going to be that one feature or that one thing we could do to Mm -hmm. really you know, separate.
separate us from everybody else? And I, I don't have an answer. I think it's just let's let's keep talking to our clients. Uh, absolutely, and and you're right. Actually, uh, we are a services industry. We're not a products based industry, so um, we cannot develop new features unless there's a new a need for a specific type of service. I guess there will be evolution in terms of the uh, on the clients and as to what they need. And and that brings me, it brings me to the next question. Do you think as an entrepreneur, your business model will evolve in the coming year? You know, I think uh, solidified that we exist to help organizations bridge communication gaps and we'll continue to do that. Uh, right. So regardless if it's written word, spoken word, or even signed, we will continue to provide that. I see us our model being more or less the same, uh, but maybe adding more remote services, adding some more languages. Just amazing. The 2020 census in the United States should be coming out. And I'm so curious to see how much more diverse our cities and communities are. The last one was in 2010. So in the United States, every decade, we have to do a census. And a lot of that, that census determines federal funding and planning. Um, so a lot of the, the industries we serve that are more geographic are going to be really influenced by that, having better data. Oh, we, we have this growing population from Cambodia, and we didn't really know how big it was until now or have a better idea. We need to uh, make resources available in, in those languages. So I, I think that in the short term, will add some little more evolution on the language mix. Uh, I hope we'll add another language company. Uh, we are still looking to acquire and grow that way. So I hope that we'll be able to add another in 2021 uh, and another in uh, 2022. Uh, at that point, we'll decide if, if that's a good way to keep going. But I think that that's we'll do, continue to do more of the same. Uh, okay, well, that's a good philosophy and uh, a good way to uh, end the year and, and look at, uh, you know, a, a new year. Uh, it, it, if you have that growth vision, then that's a great thing. So sadly, we have reached the end of our conversation today, obviously, but we will continue this into the future. If anyone listening to our conversation today is interested in talking to you about business in general or uh, what we discussed here today, what is the best way for them to reach you? Uh, three ways. One, LinkedIn. Uh, you can connect with me on there, Jordan P. Evans. You can email me, jordan at languagenetworkusa.com. Uh, or you can uh, join me at the ALC for one of our virtual roundtables or one of our uh, events. And that's the Association of Language Companies. I have the pleasure of being a board member with that association and on all the virtual roundtables. And uh, just that's a wonderful way to connect. Uh, so I encourage people, if you're not already part of the ALC, please uh, reach out to me, uh, maybe at one of the events. Well, Jordan, uh, I want to thank you for your time today. I really enjoyed speaking with you and, and you've shared everything, your experiences so candidly with us. I hope we can do this in, in the future again. I'm sure everyone enjoyed our conversation and had at least one takeaway that they could apply to their business or personal life, basically, because, uh, you know, you, you, you discuss how you've overcome some very big challenges. So thank you for sharing all of that and your experiences. And uh, I'm really hoping to have you in a future episode where we can dive into some of these topics in particular, you know, business related. So yeah, it was great talking to you. Hey, this was uh, fantastic to do. I love the podcast. Um, so carry on. You're adding so much value to our industry, Sultan, with these podcasts. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Have a good one. Thanks, Sultan. All right, Jordan. Today, we are going to review three products that every entrepreneur must have in order to operate their business in a modern and efficient manner. 
First on my list is an iPhone. While an Android device will equally perform as good, an iPhone helps you run your business efficiently as it houses multiple business functions and a device that is always in your pocket. In particular, email, messaging, mobile telephony, VoIP integration, and the endless list of applications makes the iPhone the device of choice for the modern business person for the work and personal use. iPhone scored 10 out of 10 on my review system. Like iPhones, there are tablets that provide a larger screen footprint and allows you to operate your applications with a lot more ease. Examples such as iPads and Android tablets are commonplace. Even the Microsoft Surface device, which is more of a hybrid between a tablet and a laptop, fits into this category. While not many of us are traveling these days, they are perfect for accompanying you on long-haul flights and conferences. Some of them come with keyboards and typing is very easy. You can also carry out in-person presentations on sales meetings. Regardless of the product line, any tablet will help you conduct your business efficiently. Again, I give this category of technology products a 10 out of 10. The third product that I am reviewing today is a smartwatch. Not many of us actually need these, but they are really good for alerting you of your communications and keeping an eye on your health besides telling you the time. Most of them are extendable with additional features and functions and easily pack a lot of power for your use. With a smartwatch connected to your smartphone, you don't have to pull out your phone for every text message or alert. While the main purpose is personal use, smartwatches also accommodate business applications like email, market watch, and so on. I give this category of gadgets a 9 out of 10. We have reached the end of this episode and with it we are ending the year 2020. I want to personally thank all our listeners and supporters. This year was by no means normal, but together we have been able to move forward. This podcast was an experiment for personal learning for me and it has far exceeded its objectives. It became a platform for our industry. I hope for next year we can deliver value to our listeners in the same way and to keep you engaged with the industry through interesting and fun conversations. Your opinions, thoughts, feedback, and comments will help us improve that value, so please keep them coming. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk Podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a thumbs up wherever you're listening to the show. I want to take a moment and wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year 2021. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.